Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Welcome to the Healing Herb Podcast. This is your grief expert and friend, Ashley Lemieux. I feel like we're just going to get right to it because we have some stuff to talk about tonight. And one of those questions is, are you guys going to have more babies? So... We have a special guest, the first guest of the Healing Her podcast, who is also the only other person who could answer this question with me, none other than my husband, Mike Lemieux. First guest, first the worst? Could be, because <laughs> my sister's the second guest, so first the worst, second, second the, ge- the, best. the best. Are we going to have more babies? Okay, wait, we need to pause really fast, okay. because the second question, the, the main question to this podcast, because we get asked so much is how do you heal together with your spouse and for us the first question is going to feed into the second question and listen i get it because so many of you have been involved in our lives for so long and we appreciate your support so much like i feel like we have this little internet family and a lot of times when I meet you guys in person you're like you don't know who I am is this weird if I say hi but I just feel like we're friends and I'm like we are friends I just haven't met you in person yet and I appreciate your support so I say all of that to say I understand of course there are you know just just questions around are you guys gonna have more kids I feel like our answer's a little complicated, which is why we're going to answer it on this podcast. So, Mike, why don't you why don't you say whatever you want to say to that one? I'd love to answer that question. I think that it is a very complicated answer. It's very complicated. And I think that, as you mentioned, part of healing is for us answering that question and, you know, it's something that I get asked not every day, but probably every other day by friends, family, strangers, people that I don't know even. And I'm fine answering that. I think that the best thing to do would actually be tell them the story of what happened a, a couple of months ago. Yeah. Right before we ended up going on a, on a vacation. Do you want to share that or, or should I? I'll share it because yeah. this we've been going back and forth on are we going to have more kids or not? And our answer is different if you asked us, do you want more kids? What would we say? Yes. We want more kids. Now, the next question that we get asked is, are you going to have more kids? That's the that answer. That answer is complicated. That answer is complicated. So we went on a trip earlier in the summer. And right before we left, I said to Mike, oh my gosh, I have miscalculated my ovulation, and there is a chance. A strong chance. A, a strong chance that I am pregnant. 
we go on vacation and it's during that two week time we're gone that is between ovulation and then either getting your period or finding out you're pregnant and i am in full panic mode i was not i was the opposite actually i was hiding it from you but i was incredibly excited about the the thought that we could be having another baby and up until this point is something that we would talk about and i would say you know i i don't feel ready right now maybe later and mike would be like you know i would love to have another kid and it was this moment when i realized that it was a possibility that i was pregnant that this full sense of panic and anxiety and fear and stress set in in a way that I was not expecting it to set in. And that's why I was hiding it from you because I knew that you were were nervous. Should I say, can I say scared? Oh, terrified. Of being, scared of being pregnant again. And so that's why I wasn't sharing my excitement at the thought of it with you because I didn't want you to feel stressed. And you actually, you kept asking me multiple times a day if you were pregnant I would say, do you think I'm pregnant? No, no. You would say, Mike, am I pregnant? (laughs) Am I pregnant? And I would say, no. And then sometimes I would say, I don't think so. And then I would say, tell me I'm not pregnant. So then I would laugh and say, you're not. But here's where it's hard. And I know that there are a lot of women listening to this who have experienced pregnancy loss or are experiencing infertility and that was us that was me for a couple of years and i understand that pain so deeply and so for me to then experience the stress of the possibility now of being pregnant was a very foreign feeling to me but here's why i felt it because when you go through trauma and when you go through severe PTSD and pregnancy. The first time I was pregnant, I almost died. And I think sometimes I try to compartmentalize that um, so that I can function. But now that our baby is here, it makes me feel like I have even more to lose than I did. And it scares me because being pregnant for me isn't just as easy as, oh, I'm pregnant and in nine months I'm, I'm having a baby. There are some women in this world and I am one of them where pregnancies are very complicated. I am going into doctor's appointments twice a week for ultrasounds to make sure everything's good. I am getting urine cultures to make sure that I the infection I get when I am pregnant that we learned comes when I'm pregnant for whatever reason is called strep B that that's not growing out of control like it did the first time. The anxiety of waiting for those test results every single week is enough to just, it felt like- It was a lot. It was a lot. And then I'm on daily antibiotics. And between the first pregnancy and then the pregnancy with our daughter, I was on antibiotics for over almost two years. That's a very long time. And I feel like now I'm at this place in my life where she's here We are dreaming dreams again now that we never even thought about or could fathom when we were trying to get her here because that was our dream was getting her here. And now that she is here, I feel like it's opened up this new world for us of new dreams and new things to talk about and new things to work toward. And me thinking about being pregnant again causes so much anxiety for me that I realized that I just don't think I could. So... Then 
we go home from the trip. Mike doesn't come home because he has to go somewhere else for his sister's birthday. My friend picks me up from the airport and I tell her, um, I might be pregnant and I'm freaking out. And she's like, 100% we are taking a pregnancy test when we get to your house. And I was also late on my period. I'm rarely ever late on my period. I was like two days late. And I was thinking to myself, I'm pregnant. Our life is going to change. And I am so, so, so scared. I don't know how I'm going to handle this. We get home. I take the pregnancy test. I am shaking. It was one of those moments where I was like, our life is going to change either way. Either I'm going to be pregnant and our life is going to change. And of course, I feel like I don't even need to say this, but I'm going to. Of course, if I had been pregnant, it would have been something that I would have worked through and been so excited about and just been such a blessing. But I also knew that if I wasn't pregnant, it would change our life because that would be the answer on, are we going to have more kids? And my answer would be no, based off of that experience and how I felt. So the test comes, I'm freaking out the whole time, and it says I'm not pregnant. And I will tell you that it felt like the biggest weight was lifted from my shoulders. And I almost feel guilty about that because of how hard we worked to get our baby here safely and how how long and hard that process was and every month just wanting a positive wanting a positive wanting to be pregnant feeling the relief of not being pregnant this time I felt guilty about it and that was such a foreign feeling to me but also man pregnancy was a lot the past couple of years on my body it was probably a huge sigh of relief and for me it was all sad you were sad and you were trying not to be because since he was gone, I had to call him and tell him. And I was like, how do I tell him? Because I knew, I know you want more kids and I knew you were excited about the possibility of it. And so I felt bad. I felt bad telling you and I could tell that you were sad, but I could tell that you were also were not trying to make me feel bad about it. Yeah, this is not the journey. It's not my part of the journey to experience a pregnant body and so there's really not much else I can say I totally respect everything and understand all of it of everything that you have said and described and and agree you know it's not the place that you're at right now the place that we're at to have you feel these same things if if that's the way that it is and I understand and accept that 100% and in a way it's allowed me to not close the door on having another biological baby, but to be able to focus less energy on constantly wondering if we're going to have another baby, when it will come, and to be able to focus on Annie Ray, you, other things that I want to focus on. And I feel like that's been pretty nice, actually, because it's like a plan. We, ha we have an actual plan and we know what's going to happen. For so long, we didn't have a plan. And the plan that we had kept getting ruined and it was not in our control. And I don't know for you, Mike, but for me, it's been this really interesting process of trying to get our baby here for a couple of years and having that be our big intention and big focus. And now that she's here, it changes the amount of energy that we have to focus on other things. And it just feels really good to me to be able to do that and of course I take Mike's feelings into consideration but I also take into consideration how do we manage me and a toddler if I'm pregnant and the level that is required for my high-risk pregnancies how do, how would you manage if something negative happens again and I'm in the hospital again and 
and so those are also things I take into consideration. It's risks. It's they're, risks. They're risks that you have to you have to be mindful of it. You can't ignore it. I, for me especially, I'm a very optimistic soul. I always have been. I always believe that things are going to work out. Many times they don't. Many times, more times they do. But I have, I've had to be really realistic about like, oh, you know, Ashley almost died. Like literally almost died. It was close. And that can happen. I don't, I don't want that to happen again. And if this is one of the things that causes the potential of death, it's, it, the risk is too great. There's a lot of grief that comes with that, though. And for me, I grieve the fact that I will never have a normal, joyful pregnancy. I'm grateful for the fact that I was able to have a pregnancy that got our baby here. But there is also a grief that comes with having your pregnancy never be what you ever thought that it was going to be. You know, even though things were managed with Annie Ray's pregnancy, there was so much anxiety around it that I was a different, a completely different person, which brings us to this next question and this this big part of our marriage of how do you grieve together with your partner? Because there were times in our marriage where I don't think either of us knew how we were going to get through it because it was so hard and because what, what life was taking from us and requiring of us was so depleting that we really didn't have much to give to each other at the end of the day. I remember a few years where it felt like we were kind of roommates. Like at the end of the day, we'd high five, turn on a show and that's all at least I could do emotionally to not completely lose myself. And there, I'll never forget the time where you told me and you told our therapist, we are big into going to therapy together and individually. So it's something that I always like to bring up and talk about that that can be such a support to your relationship. But there was a time where he told our therapist together, he said, I just want my wife back. Can you tell us what you meant by that? Because I think that was a really pivotal moment for me in realizing how much I had changed, how much I was unable to emotionally give you during that season and how much I wanted to find who I was again. What I meant by that was I wanted to be able to connect with you emotionally, physically, mentally without either of us feeling like we had to be withdrawn from each other at the end of the night in order to come down from all of the things that we had been experiencing during the day and to kind of veg out, calm down, it was really hard to be able to see this vibrant, hilarious, beautiful person that I married and to, to I mean, kind of go a, a 180 and it, it just drained everything that you had. It drained everything that I had too. But the question was, what do, what do I want, right? Like we were being asked, what do, what do we want from each other, from our relationship? And I said, I just want my wife back. I want to do whatever it takes in order to get her back. That person, that personality, I want to help that heal. I want you to be able to heal, to get back that happiness and that that vigor for life that you had. And that's what I wanted. And so it was it was like, what do I do? How do how can I help this? And when you were talking earlier a minute ago about, you know, grieving differently, I didn't even really understand what that meant at first. I, f I feel like a lot of people who are in the thick of this, maybe listening to this right now, you don't know that people grieve differently. There's, 
sorry, but I just want to point out, especially men and women in general grieve differently. Yeah. We know that there's stages. Many of us know like acceptance. What are the other ones I can't remember right now? <laughs> there's acceptance, anger, guilt. But the thing about the stages Denial. Is, is that they don't come in a straight line and you can circle back through them over and over again throughout your life and so you can be at a different stage in the grieving process than your partner is so then that also brings in just different nuances on trying to support each other heal together a big difference and i want to make sure i preface this by saying of course this is this does not apply to a hundred percent of men and a hundred percent of women but it has been studied it's been shown over and over that the majority of men in order to cope with their grief they throw themselves into work or in activities so that because they want to move on they want to move forward and so that's a way that they cope whereas women we want to talk about it we want to talk it out we want to feel validated and heard and seen and so you can imagine in a partnership when you have two people who are hurting and they're dealing with it very differently, it can cause so much confusion, anger and resentment toward each other, misunderstanding. And that was something that was hard for us. I know that you've talked about this before, so I'm gonna bring it up, but there was a time, a really difficult time in our grieving process where you didn't really know how to deal with it. And so you were taking every work opportunity that you could to leave and go to LA while I was back in Phoenix. So you were gone pretty frequently. And yeah, there was a six week period where I was gone for like three out of the seven days a week. And that's how you were coping. At the time, I didn't know that. And at the time, I don't think you even knew that. But after the fact, you have apologized to me and you have said, I didn't know what else to do and I realized that that was my way of coping and I never want to put you in that situation again and I thought that that was so profound that you recognize that in yourself and that as we've gone through more loss since then I feel like I've seen you be really committed to showing up for you and showing up for me which leads us back to that moment when I heard you say that you wanted your wife back and Mike, I, I wanted her back too. Like I wanted her too, but I didn't know how to find her. And I didn't know if I would ever be able to ever again. I didn't know if I was ever going to be who or what you wanted or needed in this relationship. And that scared me. And it also, it also really hurt me seeing how much this grief had drastically changed me and at that point it hadn't been for the better yet it's really important to realize that you can live for a long time in that type of state a lot of my thoughts during this time were it's going to end it's probably going to end. I need to prepare myself for my marriage to end because it's fallen apart because of the trauma that we've been through and it's just too much. There, There's something that was inside of my brain though somewhere that kept coming up that just said to watch, to try, to, to listen to you, to pay attention to you, to plan a date to focus on rubbing your feet at night, to put down my phone, to put away my laptop. And as I would listen to those little things that 
just kind of came to me, I noticed the start of a really big shift and those thoughts of, oh, it's going to end left. Something that I think about too is that it's not that we didn't want to be with each other. We didn't know how. Who we became was different than who we first married. And after that much stress and strain on your relationship for so long, it was like, I don't even know who I am. How am I supposed to know what type of wife I am? How am I supposed to how am I supposed to know how to show up for Mike when I can't show up for myself? If Mike wants his wife back, but I don't even know who she is, what is there even left to give him at the end of the day? And for a while, it was nothing. So there are a couple of things that we did that we want to share with you. Mike just shared with you, got really intentional about how he was spending his time with me. And I appreciate your patience in that because it took a while for me to reciprocate. I kind of dissociated at the end of the day. I kind of, I very much dissociated at the end of the day. It's hard for me to talk about this still and I never have. So we'll just leave it at that. (laughs) But fair. I was doing my best to stay alive and to cope um, and not to live in panic every day. And that required all of my energy and you had to you didn't know how you were people don't know how they're going to grieve it's almost like a surprise it's unexpected and so when it happens you have to sit there and understand that it is and so how could i say i need you to grieve differently than what you're capable of doing i can't do that i have to accept the way that you're doing it just like you have to accept the way that i am and it's not bad right or wrong it just is So yeah, if you needed to turn your brain off for a while, an explanation is always a great thing to say, I, I need to, I need to not do anything for a minute here for, for the rest of the night because I'm, I'm at my limit. And I think though, when you are in the middle of grief, sometimes you don't even know that that's what you need. And so you just have these reactions and then they become habits. And that's where I think therapy can be really important as a couple, if you are grieving a situation, aren't sure how to do it alone, let alone together. Something else that we did that I feel like was a turning point for us, we had sold everything we owned in Phoenix and we moved to Nashville to just get away the two of us for a short amount of time trying to figure out who we were and this new world that we were creating a life around. And I remember we were getting in the car one day to go boxing, which finding a new hobby together, I think was so helpful. Especially a hobby where you hit things in a safe way. (laughs) Yes, where we could just get out our anger about life together and It felt good to work towards something together. It it was a physical activity that we were learning. You had gone first. You you convinced me to go with you and I loved it. And I think that was really good for us. But I remember we were on our way to boxing one day and I was really upset. We were together all the time, but we were often working. Again, that was one of the ways both of us coped. We threw ourselves into work. And I remember sitting next to you we're about to pull out of the driveway and i said you know i'm feeling like i'm always with you but i'm not like with you it's like i'm with you but you're there i'm here and there's not a lot of connecting outside of that and i miss connecting with you after that we had a little sit down meeting do you remember this where we created an island 
and we decided what it was that we wanted on our island with us and we got very specific about the type of media that we wanted to consume together about the type of energy that was welcome in our home about the type of words that were said in our home about the type of activities that brought joy inside of our home and we wrote them down and then we wrote down the things that we wanted to keep off of our island and i feel like that was the beginning of a turning point of us trying to become more intentional about how we were spending our time together so that we could move forward together. It's really cool being able to do an exercise like that for me because it wasn't you coming to me, even though it felt like it at first, it felt accusatory of like, you're not doing a good job. You are not dating me. You are not giving me attention. You are my roommate. That's how it felt at first. But when I stopped and I listened, I realized I was being given an opportunity to listen to you to understand how you actually truly were feeling so that we could come up with a solution together, which is really cool as a guy. Like we like to fix things. That's like a stereotype for guys, right? So it's actually giving, being given an opportunity to fix it, not just not just to listen. And I was like, cool, let's let's make an island. Let's let's freaking make an island. That's cool. That was a good exercise to do. I liked that. Something that I feel like you've gotten good at since then, too, is when I tell you something about a way that I'm feeling, you ask, is this something that you just want me to listen to or are you wanting my advice and opinion? And I feel like that's been really helpful because sometimes I just want to be listened to. And sometimes I do want an opinion or your advice and to have you become aware of that and vice versa has been really good. Something else that I want to touch on about grieving together is we started doing something called check-ins and it would happen at any time of the day. If either of us would notice the other person was having a hard time or maybe there was sounds of frustration in their voice toward each other, the other one of us would say, hey, do you need to have a check-in right now? And we established these boundaries of a check-in. Usually there are five to 10 minutes, but in a check-in, you are allowed to fully just express your feelings. You are fully allowed to tell the other person how you were doing. If there was anything that they were doing that had upset you, it was a way to create a safe space in the middle of the day for you to just fully trust that the other person was going to be there to support you and hold you no matter what you said. And there was something really special about that connection because we were very intentional about it. And there were a lot of check-in moments that both of us needed and they would always end with a hug and breathing together so that we could continue on throughout our day. But that was something that allowed each of us space to voice and acknowledge how we were feeling so that we could talk about it. Communication and grieving with your person is the most important thing. And without it, it just is so, so hard to know what the other person needs, how they're feeling. And that's when the most frustration arises. The only thing I want to add is that when, if, you, if you start doing these check-ins with your partner and yourself, but specifically your partner, offer to have a check-in to hold that space for them and to be a listening ear but don't make them feel obligated to take it right in that moment. Maybe they take it later that night, the next day, the next week, but you're offering not so that you make them talk. For me, it was, 
hey ash do you do you want to have a check-in do you do you feel like you need to talk about something and there were times where she would say no i don't want to check in and i'd say all right no problem i was too mad i'm like i want nobody to talk to me i'll just be here i'll just be here if you need me so you you can't make somebody check in they have to be wanting to do it you also can't make anyone heal and I know there are people listening who are like, I've done all the things. Did I not do it right? Have I not done it good enough? Have I not waited long enough? And I want to say, this isn't on you. Your partner's healing isn't on you. They're the only one who can do it. And there was research that I recently read that I actually thought was really cool. And is it was talking about how the most impactful way to get someone else to go to therapy is by them seeing you do it yourself. And healing as a couple first starts with you. It starts with you taking ownership of your own healing and your partner taking ownership of theirs so that together you can do it together. And I just want to add, and this will probably be the last thing I say, um, maybe not, I don't know. For me, it was worth waiting and sticking it out. Me too. Oh, babe, this is sweet. You, I got you back. But I, I, I didn't get you back because the old you is gone right we're we're always evolving and you really evolved and i got a new version of you it was like a butterfly version of you almost because you you had to cocoon you had to heal and and then when you came out i was like wow who's this (laughs) when i got my hair done a couple weeks ago or it was a few months ago i chopped it all off and you said this is actually (laughs) (laughs) 2.0 but yeah i i feel the same about you and um I'm grateful to have you on this journey of life and and craziness with me and to anyone listening and to any spouses who maybe this was sent to. I just want you to know that healing is so brave. Healing together is so brave and it is a consistent choice. And if it's hard, it's not because you're doing something wrong. It's because it is freaking hard. It just is hard. And if it feels hard, you're probably doing it the right way. And it sucks. (laughs) And that you can do it. And that's why we're here on this Healing Her podcast, because we have learned the tools, both personally and professionally, that I just want more people to have access to. And I am proud of you for putting yourself first tonight by listening to this, by searching things out that will help make you feel good and feel better. And I just want you to take a second to acknowledge yourself because making small changes, even like this, makes such a big impact. I always say that healing isn't one big moment, it is consistent movement forward. And girl, that is what you are making right now. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Healing Her podcast. And I am so excited to see you again next week. Good job, girl. And thanks, Mike, for being here. I'm so honored you joined us for this episode of the Healing Her podcast, where healing isn't just a destination. It's an empowering, transformative adventure. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss brand new episodes each Tuesday. And if you're ready for more tangible tools, make sure you grab my best-selling book, I Am Here, wherever books are sold or in the link in the show notes below. Take good care of yourself until I see you again next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. 
Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.